MSW Media. Stylings of Kalai King. Thank you, Kalai. I appreciate the laugh there at the end. He's a beautiful man. He's got a beautiful voice. And I'm happy that he did our theme song for us. Cheers, everyone. I am Dan Dunn. And what we're drinking this episode is Slain Irish Whiskey. Hear that? Yeah. Got a little ice in my glass. That's how I like my whiskey. Mm. And I'm going to be doing that now and later with my special guest, Alex Cunningham, who is the co-founder of Slain Irish Whiskey, and also his family is the owner of uh, Slain Castle, which you may have heard of, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. I'm excited. This is our fourth episode four, episode four, and it's exciting because uh, my good buddy Justin Silver, who hosts uh, hosts a couple of uh, podcasts, Neurotica is one, and uh, Justin was telling me and reminding me, because I've done a lot of podcasts too, that you really don't start to hit your stride until about episode four. So I'm feeling good. Like, I feel like I'm there. Stride. I'm striding now. We're in it. Uh, and I'm glad that you're walking right or walking, running right alongside me. Anyway, I got uh, some social media stuff I wanted to touch. Uh, people like to hit me up. It's at the Imbiber, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. I also have a Facebook page, Dan, the American Wino Dunn, but I like when people hit me up. I got a, an Instagram message from D Max Maxi commented. He said, thumbs up, whiskey glass, goofy face, another whiskey glass, fist bump. I like that. Thanks, man. Big heart emoji right back at you. Uh, I did get a note regarding last week's episode with Oliver Cooper that was about hangovers, and that note was from Jenny, and she wrote and said, asked uh, seriously though is there really such thing as a surefire hangover cure and the answer to that jenny is yes it's called alcoholics anonymous no more hangovers um alex boylan wrote in and asked how do you know when it's time to stop drinking and go home to that i say when the room stops spinning and i start spinning it's time to go home okay so as I want to do at the beginning of each show, I've got uh, some new adult beverages I want to tell you about. This is stuff that I'm digging that I think uh, you might dig as well. And that would make us uh, co-diggers. Oh, there's my dog barking. She she loves the alcohol too. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. Uh, first up, if you like rum, uh, The Real McCoy is a rum brand that was founded in 2013 by a filmmaker named Bailey Pryor and his wife, Jennifer. Bailey got this idea to start this rum company while making a documentary about Bill McCoy. Bill McCoy was a rum runner during Prohibition. In fact, McCoy was the first guy to fill a boat up with rum in the Caribbean, sail it up to New York, and 
kind of act as a floating liquor store uh, three miles offshore from New York City. And he was always careful to stay three miles offshore because in the early days of Prohibition, uh, international waters was considered okay for alcohol. So that's where he was. So this brand, The Real McCoy, started in 2013. It's a small batch, uh, single-blended Barbadian rum. Okay, When they first came out, they had a 3-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 12-year-old. But they've now just released this 14-year aged batch. Uh, it's a limited edition, just 6,000 bottles. 14 years in American oak ex-bourbon barrels. Uh, and they bottle it at 92 proof, so it's got a little kick to it. But what I like is there's some toffee and leather and toasted caramel. It's a really good sipping aged rum. Uh, so again, real McCoy, 14 year, 80 bucks a bottle. All right, but you're worth it. Speaking of being worth it, <laughs> get ready for this one. Uh, Michter's, uh, if you've ever read any of my writing in the Rob report or various publications I write for, you know, I love Michter's. I, I think they make some of the finest whiskey in America and they just began shipping their 2019 release. Uh, it's a 10 year single barrel rye. Now, what's special about this, beyond the, the flavor, is that this is the first release of whiskey uh, by the recently named master distiller Dan McKee. He took over for Pam Heilman, who had been there forever. Uh, in fact, I wrote a piece about Pam in the July issue of Rob Report, so if you get Rob Report, check it out. The 2019 10-year single barrel, to me, just really exemplifies what Michter's does with Kentucky Rye. Uh, the, you know, of course, obviously the rye grains in there and you get that spiciness, but they've got this good amount of corn and malted barley in the mash as well. And that adds layers of more subtle, delicious flavor that really complement that spiciness of the rye. That's the good news. The bad news is it's a hundred and sixty dollars a bottle. All right. So you're going to have to do some uh, extra Uber driving or something to get that money. So, hmm. Hmm. More whiskey for me. Um, and finally, uh, for white wine lovers out there, God damn, did I just have a good wine. Um, David Ramey started making Chardonnay up in uh, the Russian River Valley in Sonoma County, Northern California, back in 1996. And when he did, it was just kind of a side project for him. But now, 23 years later, Ramey is the indisputable master of California Chardonnay, in my opinion. And who's going to dispute me? A guy's a trailblazer. He, so many contemporary winemaking techniques that he's brought to California and, and everybody's sort of following what he's doing. In fact, there's a big feature on him called Professor Chardonnay in the July issue of Wine Spectator. So uh, get that and check it out. Uh, the latest release from Ramey Wine Cellars is a 2016 Fort Ross Seaview Chardonnay. Just a beautifully constructed wine. It's got this bold fruit Chardonnay flavor, but a nice mix of minerality in there as well. Spiciness on the finish. Just, a, again, a beautiful wine uh, for summertime or anytime, really. So, And it's uh, $42. So that's Ramey 2016 Fort Ross Seaview Chardonnay. I'll post something on Instagram, and that is at the Imbiber. Um, so what else we got now? I guess it's time for, I like that. I got a new sound effect thing. So get ready to be annoyed. Uh, <laughs> it is time for the, what we're drinking segment. There we go. I just made that sound effect with my actual glass. Okay. 
As mentioned, uh, today's topic is Irish whiskey. Pop culture tends to link Irish culture with drinking, so the strangest thing about the recent Irish whiskey renaissance is that it needed one in the first place. Uh, But make no mistake, it did. Just 20 years ago, this tiny country that once boasted a thousand different distillers was down to about three popular brands that were making its way over to the United States. The early 20th century just delivered a series of blows to the to the Irish whiskey industry, including prohibition here in the U.S. and the trade war with England that almost murdered Irish whiskey outright. They supplied 60% of the global whiskey market by the late 1960s. It was down to 1%. Uh, the three reigning distilleries merged, and they were bought out by Pernod Ricard, and then the climb back... Uh, began. Uh, it helped revive Irish whiskey. Um, Pernod Ricard has some market cloud and they, they, they ultimately placed Jameson in practically every bar in the world. And now, praise be, the craft distilling revolution has reached the shores of the Emerald Isle. Um, it isn't the land of a thousand distilleries quite yet, but there are at least 15, 20 with another 20 slated to open in the next few years. And what's great are the young guns that are coming up in the Irish whiskey industry. They're less traditional, more apt to experiment with different mash bills and aging methods. And these exciting new offerings are really kind of setting the market on fire. I mean, you know, if you go to a bar, people are drinking Irish whiskey. It's one of the fastest growing spirits categories since 1990. And that brings me to slain Irish whiskey. And let me bring that back to my lips. Okay. Slane's made on the grounds of the legendary Slane Castle in the rural countryside of the Bourne Valley outside of Dublin, Ireland. It's about 45 minutes outside of Dublin. If you're familiar with Slane Castle, it's most likely because of music. Uh, Since 1981, the grounds there have been used to host concerts. Huge concerts. I'm talking 80,000 people. Uh, The first show in 1981 was headlined by Thin Lizzy, and the opening act was a young local band from Dublin by the name of U2. A couple years later, uh, 1984 to be exact, U2 recorded their classic album, The Unforgettable Fire, inside Slane Castle. They actually moved in, lived there, and made The Unforgettable Fire, uh, which you know boasts pride in the name of love, the, the title track, bad. It's just a classic record. Um, and they, of course, have played concerts at Slane Castle. They have a DVD of a concert at Slane Castle, if anybody's still buying DVDs. Uh, other acts that have played Slane Castle, the Rolling Stones, Guns N' Roses, Queen, Bowie, Madonna, Neil Young, Dylan, Springsteen, Oasis. Last month, just uh, I think beginning of June, 75,000 people turned up uh, for a band you might have heard of called Metallica. And that was Metallica's first time playing in Ireland since uh, in a decade, 2009. So Slane Irish Whiskey arrived in the summer of 2017. And they make it using what they call a triple cask maturation process. Virgin oak, seasoned oak, sherry cask. They blend those aged whiskeys together. And what you get is a finished product that smells great. I'm going to give it a whiff right now. So I'm getting like some caramel, butterscotch, vanilla. There's some brown spice. Toasted oak, and then on the palate, it's a little spicy at first, but quickly you get some sweetness and dried fruit, caramelized sugar, 
I dig this stuff. I really do. Um, you can drink it neat on the rocks like I'm doing, put it in a cocktail. It's only $30 a bottle, which is really, you know, a, a good price point for, for a stellar Irish whiskey. Um, so recently I ventured to downtown LA. I live in Venice Beach, but I made the trek across the city to downtown LA to a bar called Here and Now. Uh, Here and Now was just named one of America's best bars by Esquire magazine. And they had a little thing down there. And I met up with Alex Cunningham. As I mentioned, he's the co-founder of Slain Irish Whiskey. His family has owned Slain Castle for 300 years. He's a great guy. And here's a bit of our chat. Okay, everybody, I am at a bar in downtown Los Angeles called Here and Now. Here and Now uh, just made the annual Esquire list of the best bars in America. Kind of a cool thing. Uh, there are kids here in the bar outside, which is kind of interesting, but I guess maybe that's what makes it a great bar. Uh, what also makes it great is the guy I'm sitting with. Uh, his name is Alex Cunningham. He is the founder of Slain Irish whiskey and i am really glad to have you here alex how you doing man i'm doing good absolute pleasure so you are from slain and tell us where slain is so it is a village it's not a town it's got four pubs being a good irish village it's about 45 minutes north of dublin in the boyne valley which was a haven of distilling back in in the good old days so Slane is uh, well-known, to me anyway, uh, growing up because I uh, am a huge U2 fan. And uh, U2 recorded one of their seminal albums, The Unforgettable Fire, at Slane Castle. Now, can you... Does your family own the castle? Yep, it does. Uh, we've been there since 1703, and I was lucky enough to grow up there, and I remember those Unforgettable Fire days very well. Uh, they had the recording equipment set up in the dining room and I would go to sleep with the noise permeate, permeating up through the floorboards and I got into a bit of trouble for sneaking down and tinkering with the uh, all of the equipment early in the morning. It took a few days to figure out that it wasn't the ghost screwing up the recordings, it was myself, my brother and my sister wanting to be rock stars. <laughs> That's amazing. So how? So this would have been around 1983, 84. So how old were you then, and did you get to know the band? Sure, yeah, I was a kid. I mean, I was, what, well, was a 9 or 10 around then. So, yeah, we, uh, you two have a long relationship with, with Slain. You know, the very first gig in 1981, Thin Lizzy were the headline. You two were starting out. And they were one of the support acts for the first gig. And that relationship started then. And then they lived in, uh, in the house for about six months, did The Unforgettable Fire. And then we were lucky enough to have them back in 2001 for two amazing shows. Uh, so uh, that relationship will continue. I, I, I believe I own that DVD from the shows there. Now, I, if memory serves, Ireland had just won a huge soccer yeah, match right football right. match yeah. and bono came out and also another thing this is how crazy my i also remember from that video he was singing all i want is you and a guy threw a bottle of water at him and the water like hit him in the face and bono just turned and gave him the two fingers and said all i want is you motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like good irish humor. uh they were very special gigs 
there was one funny moment. So you mentioned the the game was on, right? And uh, the sales of beer were down on the previous concert because everyone was watching the match and they decided to show the game. And then Ireland scored and 70,000 points went up in the air and then the sales took off. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a hell of a show. Um, those U2 concerts. And we had also just, uh, Dad had just rebuilt the castle because we had a real fire in 1991. And it took ten, uh, Dad 10 years to rebuild it and we reopened it for the U2. Uh, U2 gig in 2001 so very special for lots of reasons and speaking of special and slain uh, and, and by the way you've had a lot of other bands play there as well correct yeah oh god yeah we've just had Metallica which was an amazing show um, and Thin Lizzy right at the beginning I've been lucky enough to witness Dylan Springsteen Foo Fighters, Kings of Leon, Chili Peppers I mean the list goes on and when they're playing there do they stay at the castle um, so yeah, things have changed now. Um, generally, no, they don't. They don't stay, to be honest, because the music business now it's competitive. You've got to get onto the next location. So typically, they're they're in and out. But they like to come in and rehearse. And generally, uh, we either get them up to the castle or or make sure to try and meet meet them when they're there to give them that personal welcome. Um, Slain is a pilgrimage for the fans, but Metallica, for example, had said. It was on their bucket list, and that bucket list gets smaller as, as your career advances, but it was still on there for them as it was for us. Amazing. Uh, so this is a show called, it's not called Rock and Roll History, it's called What We're Drinking. <laughs> and what we are drinking on today's episode, as I, as I queued up at the top, is Slain Irish Whiskey. Uh, and this is Alex's brand. You you and your father started it, correct? That is, so, yep. so tell us a little bit about Slain. So... Slain as a liquid is, it's an Irish blend. So what you would expect from a blend if you're drinking Irish is something that's going to be smooth and accessible. And I guess we just wanted to build on that and add a bit of complexity. So you've got malt and grain, but we exposed it to three different barrels. So we call it triple cast. You've got virgin American oak. It's going to give you lots of lovely vanilla. We use a seasoned barrel, which is primarily a Tennessee whiskey barrel for like butterscotch and demerara sugar and ripe banana and then lastly an oloroso sherry cask from Hereth, and that's going to give you a dry fruit and raisins uh, and a little brown or baking spice finish so three essentially almost different whiskies blended into one to create something that's yeah accessible but nice and robust as well my mouth's watering can we can we take a hold on a second here we go let's get a cilantro all right let's uh hmm you know, he's not lying about what it tastes like either. It's, it is absolutely delicious. Um, I want to ask you a question because people ask me all the time. They'll say, you know, what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer American whiskey? Do you prefer bourbon? Do you prefer scotch? So I'm going to put this to you. Somebody's going away. They're going to do the old proverbial desert island, okay? Yep. And they get to choose to bring scotch, Irish whiskey, a bottle of your Irish whiskey, slain Irish whiskey, or an American whiskey. So you have to make the case to them as to why they should go with Irish whiskey. Why, why Irish whiskey? So it's a great question. I would say the reason you would go for Irish is because it's a great everyday drinking whiskey. And if you're stuck on a desert island and you've got to drink the same thing day in, day out, you want something that is palatable, accessible, flexible. You've got to find stuff on that island to mix it with. Slane is a classic example of a good everyday drinking smooth but full-bodied whiskey. No burn, no bite, just smooth, enjoyable, rich, delicious. Is this uh, 
alcohol? It is. Uh, well, I, not 80% alcohol. 80, 80, proof, 80, 80, 80 proof, proof, I'm sorry. 40% <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. Boy, it feels like 80% now. Yeah. I'm already slipping up. Yeah. And the other thing is you can drink it neat, but we have a couple of, so here at, at Here and Now, they have an amazing cocktail program, obviously got named one of them, Esquire's Best Bars. So they made a couple of drinks for us here. So this one here, tell us, and you can't see it at home, but it's up in a coupe glass. Uh, it's sort of got a little orange thing going on. What is this cocktail? So uh, this is called the Art of Storytelling, and uh, what the team did here is they played to some of the fruity notes and the malt aspect of the whiskey. So you got lots of citrus, you got grapefruit, you got some lime juice, some honey, a little bit of egg white for the texture, Angostura bitters just to create a bit of balance. Really nice, kind of refreshing, light um, plays to the Frieda aspects of the whiskey. And, and and that's the thing is you know let me I'll tell you, first of all I'm trying this thing and it's delicious. Mm, mm. That's me drinking. Um, and I'll tell you, it's not its not something that, you know, maybe here in America anyway, that people naturally go, oh, I'm going to have an Irish whiskey cocktail. If you were to ask most Americans what what they would put Irish whiskey in, they would say, and, and I'll just throw up as I'm saying it, an Irish coffee, sure. right? which, which is a drink that didn't even actually exist in Ireland, yeah. correct? Yeah, but uh, that's true. I mean, it was invented in Shannon Airport, the Irish coffee. But you got to think back to the Prohibition era. You know, when a lot of the cocktails were invented and Irish whiskey was the number one category here then. So a lot of these old school cocktails, like the one we just had, reminds me of a drink called The Artist. It's in the Savoy cocktail book, been around a long time. So there's some Irish cocktails have been around for a very, very long time. It's just now people are rediscovering them. And that's something I talked about earlier in the show is is it's really an incredible story. Irish whiskey was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And then several events that we talked about the war, the war of independence. We talked about prohibition. It's when you think about where the category was at the end of the 20th century, which is almost extinct. Right. There were three brands. Right. And they were all being made at the same place. Right. right. The Middleton Distillery. How. How do you explain the rebound that's happened now? I mean, Irish whiskey is just exploding as a category. Yeah, it's on fire, and I think that's just because it is very accessible, you know. And uh, Slane, for example, has been described as good Irish whiskey for bourbon drinkers, and that's because we use a virgin oak barrel, which, which brings in some of those characteristics. But Irish is on fire because... It is uh, very accessible. It's not overcomplicated, not pretentious. It's easy to get in. There's plenty of space to explore. Uh, so I think we're just getting started. We are up to close to, we've just gone over 20 distilleries in Ireland now. If they all get built, we're going to be up to 50. So that is, that is a full-blown renaissance, which is great to be part of. And, and how would you say America's played a, a big role in that? Because you've got places like the Dead Rabbit and, and a lot of these iconic. How big is America in, in terms of sales explosion for Irish whiskey? So it is. What's great is historically, in the period you were talking about earlier, it was the number one market in the world. It's the number one market in the world, again, for Irish whiskey. And it's going to be a very important part of our collective future as the Irish whiskey industry. So it deserves a lot of attention and a lot of credit. And that trend is now starting to spread around the world. But what starts here t- tends to perforate as you know the countries take it up. But you look at what's happening in New York, L.A., um, Boston, San Francisco. Irish whiskey is booming in all of those heartlands, not just as neat or on the rocks, but the cocktail scene is fully embracing it, which is which is 
really encouraging to see and it's where we belong so i gotta ask you is you know you have a relationship is, is bono the edge i know adam doesn't drink anymore but are they fans of slain irish whiskey uh sure yeah um i mean <laughs> um irish whiskey you know i know bono likes his irish whiskey for sure um yes adam doesn't drink anymore but he's a big fan of slain he's actually been to the distillery a couple of times he's he's a good family friend um so I think you two have done amazing things for supporting all things Irish, and uh, I like to think that includes Irish whiskey. Last question, is there, are there any big concerts coming up at, at Slane this summer that may, people might want to come over for? So we've just had the Metallica show, and we're currently working on a one for next summer. So, uh, yeah, watch the space. Well, I know you now. And by the way, I have to leave you with a quick joke. So this guy, um, and Dan should turn off his phone when he does this, all right, and we'll cut this part out. There we go. Uh, okay, so here's the joke. You ready? Yeah. This guy's a huge rock and roll fan, and he dies and goes to heaven. And when he gets there, it turns out heaven is the Sunset Marquee, famous yeah. rock and roll yeah. hotel on Sunset Boulevard. And St. Peter's there, and he says, St. Peter, what, is this heaven? He says, yeah, this is rock and roll heaven, and because you're such a big fan, you get to go here. And the guy says, unbelievable. And he goes, Okay, let me show you your room. So he's walking down the hallway, and he, he hears this amazing guitar jam coming out of his room, and he cracks the door, and he looks in, and he says, St. Peter, is that? And St. Peter says, yeah, that's Jimi Hendrix and Prince rocking out. It's All the dead rock stars are here in rock and roll heaven. So he's like, okay, come on, let's go. Let's get to your room. Keep going down. Now he hears a raging party going on in this other room, and he opens the door, and he looks in, and Kurt Cobain is there, and Chris Cornell, and Janis Joplin, and they're all hanging out partying, and Keith Moon's jamming on the drums, and the guy says, I just, I can't believe it. St. Peter says, yeah, rock and roll heaven, where all the dead rock stars go. And they walk by, and they go past this other room, and the door's open a crack, and he looks in, and he sees Bono with this fly sunglasses on in front of the mirror, fixing his hair, making duck face, and, and the guy says, wait, St. Peter, Bono's not dead. And St. Peter says, oh, no, that's God. He just thinks he's Bono. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. He will laugh at that. (laughs) So, Alex Cunningham, I want to thank you for for joining us here. And we're going to be throwing up some some slain recipes on the website, Done the Imbiber. Any last thought you want to leave everybody with here? So, my dad always told me, have fun in what you're doing. It's been an enormous privilege to work on this whiskey and this project. And so that is my lesson. Whatever you do, have fun doing it. Amen, brother. So that was Alex Cunningham. I mean, great guy, great stories. I could have talked to that guy for three hours. I do just about all the bands that were there. It's just incredible. Like when he was talking about growing up in the, being a kid in the castle when U2 was there making the record. I mean, it just really kind of gave me chills. Um, so now it's time for a uh, recurring segment on the show that we call What's Driving Me to Drink? It's driving me to drink. Yeah, you liked that, didn't you? Oh, no. All right, stop playing with the soundboard, Dan. Okay. <laughs> uh, once while I was touring Ireland with a small group of spirits journalists, I was very nearly beaten to death in a pub just outside of Dublin, actually. Uh, One of the members of our group was this, like, fresh-out-of-the-frat douche nozzle from New York who was on assignment for one of those atrocious laddie magazines that don't really exist anymore. He looked like Billy Zabka, really, the the dude who played Johnny, the smirking bad guy in the Karate Kid, the first Karate Kid movie. 
And he acted like him too. You know, on more than one occasion on that trip, I, I really did want to rear up on one leg like a crane and kick him in the teeth. It's a maneuver, I might add, that if executed properly is indefensible. So anyway, we're in this pub and I go up to the bar to get a drink and this place is packed. There's a football game on, I'm talking European football game on TV. It was St. Patrick's Athletic versus Galway United, a premier division game. Lots at stake. And the score was tied 2-2 late in the second half. Everyone in the pub are St. Patrick's fans. It's a St. Patrick's Athletic bar. And they're also all totally blotto. So up walks uh, Billy Zabka, and he sidles up next to me, him and that fucking smirk of his, and he points at the TV. Soccer game, huh? He says. So without looking over at him, I nod. You like soccer, he says. So I say, they call it football over here. Yeah, I know, he snorts. It's fucking stupid. So I just let it go, and I wave to the bartender, because, frankly, I need strong drink badly. And he says, no, no, I'll get this one. And I was wary about that. But okay, buy me a drink. So I, I said I'd have a red breast uh, neat. And he looks at me and smiles in this stupid Billy Zabka smile. He's like, no, 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 bro. I got a better idea. Well, guess what? It wasn't a better idea. In fact, it was a breathtakingly stupid idea. The kind of shit brain stratagem that makes you not feel angry as much as sorry for the guy, but also very angry. Two Irish car bombs, he shouts. So now, those of you unfamiliar with this particular concoction, the Irish car bomb, and the reasons why ordering it in a pub in Ireland is such a sterling example of poor judgment, a little background. To make an Irish car bomb, you take half a shot of Jameson, half a shot of Bailey's, and a shot glass. Combine those. Then you drop that shot glass into a pint of Guinness and chug it. So this little abomination was invented by a man named Charles Burke Cronin Oat at Wilson's Saloon in Norwich, Connecticut in the mid-1970s. Connecticut being, of course, in America. So to recap, an American bartender invented a drink that appropriates three of Ireland's most beloved adult beverages as ingredients, and then he named it after an act of terrorism that has caused catastrophic social and political upheaval, not to mention countless deaths, for generations of Irish citizens. So, to fully appreciate the import of this, imagine that in the wake of 9-11, some cheeky Irish pub owner dreamed up a drink that combined America's native spirit, bourbon, with sweet vermouth, a Manhattan, in a shot, dropped into its most popular beer, Budweiser. And he called it a Manhattan Ground Zero because, as he explained, drinking it left a big fat hole in your gut. Now imagine you're sitting in a pub down around Wall Street and would would have been the shadow of those fallen towers, and a group of rowdy Irishmen on holiday storm in and order a round of Manhattan Ground Zeros. And now just imagine all those Irishmen were rowdy and obnoxious and looked just like Billy Zabka. So Zabka shouts, two Irish car bombs in this very packed pub and and all activity comes to a record needle screeching halt. Uh, Everyone, I mean every single person stares daggers at us. 
It's the silent death stare, you know, the worst kind. Uh, and then in what ranks, in the five bad to worst moments of my life, Galway scores the go-ahead goal in the final minute of play. Game over, match, Galway. So the first thought that crosses my mind is I'm going to die in Ireland and I didn't even get to meet the Blarney Stone or Kiss Bono. I'm expecting my life to flash before my eyes like people say happens when you reach the pearly gates, but instead something Martin Luther King Jr. once said pops into my head. A man who won't die for something is not fit to live. Now, there are myriad things I'd like to think I'd be man enough to die for, but defending some Neanderthal, I quite frankly wanted to pummel myself from a mob of angry Irish soccer hooligans is not even worth being 86 from the pub, let alone beaten to death. And for the record, yes, I did just invoke Martin Luther King Jr. to illustrate a barroom tale. I have no defense, okay? My brain is my brain. So in no time to waste, I spring into action going crane on Zapka before anyone has a chance to realize I'm with him. Of course, I don't actually have the space, coordination, training, or discipline to properly execute the crane move, so I do the next best thing. I deliver a wicked elbow to Zabka's jaw while bellowing, What the feck is wrong with you, you dumb feckin' yank? I'm suddenly feeling emboldened, fierce, like I'm gonna pull this off. Yet despite being what possession I thought was a solid Irish brogue, a face that I thought maybe appear quite the Irishman, and a common Irish surname, Don, Dan Don. It's immediately discerned by each and every local in that pub that I am, in fact, a dumb fecking yank as well. And the reason dawned on me almost immediately, I'd recently had my teeth whitened, which is a dead giveaway in that part of the world. So just as this mob begins to close in on us, we get a break. Turns out the pub owner, it was a burly ex-cop, and he commands the respect of everyone who enters this joint. He's been tipped off by this publicist who'd arranged our junket over there to Ireland that we were journalists, yielders of the almighty pen. And there's no question this guy would have liked nothing more than to see that angry mob scatter my teeth all over the pub floor. Yet I think he recognized the potential fallout of letting two American booze scribes get brutally assaulted and left for dead in his establishment. So instead of suffering deep, perhaps permanent bodily harm, all that happened was we got thrown out of the pub with a wholly unnecessary warning to never return again. Still close call. Uh, so Zapka, in case you're wondering, never did broach the subject of me elbowing him in the kisser, by the way. I expected as much. Uh, my experience has taught me that brawny blowhards like him wear prep school sweatshirts and strut around acting like they own the joint. Well, they invariably fold like French prize fighters once you show them you're capable of real street violence, okay? So that's one of the many valuable lessons I learned from my grandma back in our hard scrabble area of Philadelphia. She also taught me to never trust rich people, empty card ruined refrigerator boxes are the greatest toys ever invented, and that a penny saved is still just a fucking penny. And with that, uh, well, you know, I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank Alex Cunningham from Slain for joining us. I'd like to thank you for joining us. I'd like to invite you to visit me on Instagram at the Inviber. Shoot me any questions, comments, and whatnot. Uh, we'll be back again next week with more alcohol. This is what we're drinking.